Well, good morning, Jubilee. I hope you're all okay. Uh, It's really a privilege to be able to continue our series in Ezra and Nehemiah this morning. Um, So far, we've mainly been in the book of Ezra, haven't we? Um, And today, we're going to turn to the beginning of Nehemiah. And I'll be speaking from the first two and a bit chapters. So if you want to grab your Bibles and have those open, and we'll get going. What I want to do this morning really is two things. Firstly, I want to introduce you to Nehemiah. He's a really fun character with loads to teach us. And then secondly, I want us to think about what we can learn from Nehemiah's heart for his city. Because I really believe that actually there's a prophetic emphasis here for the current time. That as we'll see... Just as um, Nehemiah was good news for his city of Jerusalem, so we are good news for the cities in which God has positioned us. God loves and is concerned about the city. After all, we read in Luke 19 verse 41 that Jesus stood and wept over the city of Jerusalem in the last week of his life on earth. He cares And we all have a part to play in rebuilding the broken walls of our cities, whether that's socially, emotionally, economically, environmentally. God has called us to be solution bringers and creative innovators for the good of his people and the city. So that's where we're heading But first, I want to start with a quick recap of where we've got to in the series and where Nehemiah fits on the timeline of events. So you remember God's people had been taken into exile in Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. The city of Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was burnt down and God's people were enslaved. They were no longer a nation, but were scattered around the known world. And in Ezra 1, we read how God moved the hearts of a pagan king, Cyrus of Persia, to send the first wave of exiles back to Jerusalem, led by Zerubbabel. And during this time, we read about how uh, the altar was rebuilt together with the foundations of the temple and later the rebuilding of the temple itself. And then some 50 to 70 years later, Ezra is sent by royal decree, this time by King Artaxerxes, to lead the second wave of exiles back to Jerusalem. Ezra, as we heard, was a priest and a teacher from Babylon, called to rebuild the community of the people of God and re-establish worship. But throughout this time, the city walls remained derelict. There was no definition to the city, no security or protection from enemy attacks. And actually, there's no evidence at this time that anyone attempted to rebuild the city after the Babylonian destruction. Those exiles returning to the site of Jerusalem would most likely have been met by wild animals and weeds 
and dirt and mounds of debris in the very places where their ancestors' homes once stood. This is where Nehemiah comes in. He arrived in Jerusalem 13 years after Ezra. And as we will see today, his God-given assignment looked really quite different from that of Zerubbabel's and Ezra's. You see, when we meet Nehemiah, he is not a temple priest or a full-time Christian worker in any sense of the word. Rather, he's effectively a civil servant working in a secular setting. He worked in government, serving wine to the king. And we know that because Nehemiah verse one, sorry, chapter one, verse 11 says, I was cupbearer to the king. So he's not about rebuilding God's people or reestablishing religious worship. He's a workplace minister positioned by God to influence and impact the city. In chapter one, we're given this great insight into what Nehemiah was like. We learn what he was passionate about, how his faith worked out in action and how he responds to the bad news about his home city. At this point, Nehemiah is living in luxury in the fortified citadel of Susa, which was known for its opulence. It was a royal winter residence, so uh, I kind of like to think of it a bit like the Sandringham Estates for our royal family of today. It's here that Nehemiah receives a distressing report about Jerusalem's derelict condition and how the city walls are broken and the gates have been burnt down. So let's read that beginning of Nehemiah chapter one. We're going to read the first three verses. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So how does Nehemiah respond to this news? Well, I think there's four things that Nehemiah does next that I want us to look at in turn today. Firstly, he takes responsibility in prayer. Secondly, he uses the influence he has well. Thirdly, he looks for heaven's solution to the problems of the city. And fourthly, he partners with others. So let's look at those. Firstly, he takes responsibility in prayer. When Nehemiah hears the bad news about the state of the city of Jerusalem, the first thing he does is spend time in God's presence. He doesn't react with indifference or apathy. He is deeply moved. The news breaks him and causes him to weep and pray over the city. Verse four says, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. 
For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. How does he pray? Well, he starts by remembering who God is. He says in verse five to six, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. In the midst of the news of the brokenness of his city and the distress of his people, he starts by declaring the truth about who God is. How he's the God of heaven, he's great and awesome. How he keeps his covenant of steadfast love. The promise that he will rescue his people as they turn back to him and keep his commandments. How he is present and attentive. His eyes and ears are open to the needs of his people. I wonder how often we start with us when we pray. Our frailties, our needs. But Nehemiah knows his faith will be built if he starts with who God is. Nehemiah's prayer then turns to repentance. He takes responsibility for the mess of his city. He confesses Israel's sin, as well as the sin of himself and his family, saying in verse 7, We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Nehemiah acknowledges that Israel's sin has led to the present situation in Jerusalem. The people have not responded to God's gracious covenant promise. And so their disobedience has led to their scattering or exile. But in verse 9, Nehemiah recalls God's promise to Moses He says, if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. And then he says, they are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Nehemiah knows that the threatened exile has indeed happened. So he appeals to God's promise of old that even then, if Israel repented, God would bring restoration and redemption. Of course, at this point, the restoration has begun because many of God's people have returned from exile. But it is not yet finished because the city remains broken, its walls derelict. There is still a redemptive work to be done. And so Nehemiah takes responsibility. He's ready to take action. He finishes by praying in verse 11, give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. 
The man is King Artaxerxes, Nehemiah's boss. He knows he has been positioned to work for the king, not so that he can live a comfortable, cosy life, closeted away in the palace, immune to the brokenness of the city. He has been called to this position so that he can bring influence for the good of the city. So, after taking responsibility in prayer, the second thing Nehemiah does is he uses his influence well. Now, remember, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. He was frequently in the king's presence. He was someone the king could ask advice from and was probably privy to royal secrets. His job was to pour and serve drinks at the royal table. And part of his role was to guard against poison in the king's cup. And this meant he was sometimes required to swallow some of the drink before serving it. He was literally entrusted with the king's life. Chapter 2 verse 1 tells us that Nehemiah had not been sad in the king's presence before. So the king asks him in verse 2, why does your face look so sad? When you are not ill, this could be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah at this point could have given some excuse or denied that there was anything wrong. But he has decided now is the time to speak out. He makes the courageous decision to be authentic with the king, even though he says in verse two, I was very much afraid. He's prepared himself in prayer, asking for God's favour with the king. So he knows this is a God-given opportunity to speak out. So he says in verse three, why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king then invites a request. He says, what is it you want in verse four? And then Nehemiah makes this audacious request to the king. He asks that he be sent to the city in Judah where his ancestors are buried so that he can rebuild it. He strategically asks for letters to the governors in order to allow him to travel safely as well as a letter to the keeper of the royal park to give him timber to build with. And because the gracious hand of his God was on him, verse 8, the king granted his requests. Nehemiah was well positioned for influence and he uses it well by spending time in God's presence so that when his divine opportunity to speak out comes, he is ready to respond and knows what to ask for. And so the third thing he does as he is released to go to Jerusalem is to look for heaven's solutions to the problems of the broken city. He travels to Jerusalem and stays there three days before surveying the extent of the damage. He says in chapter 2, verse 12, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. 
Nehemiah aims to keep his mission secret at this point. Maybe to protect the plans from enemy potential enemies, but also from his own people until he has heard heaven's perspective. So he inspects the walls in the darkness of night. Verse 13, I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. The city of Jerusalem was physically broken. Walls reduced to rubble. Gates and entrances burnt to the ground, leaving the city vulnerable, insecure and open to attack. As Nehemiah walks around this brokenness, he holds on to what God has put in his heart to do for Jerusalem. What is God saying to us in all of this? The effects of COVID-19 have highlighted the brokenness of our cities in new ways. What brokenness is God revealing to you at this time? What has God put in your heart to do for your city? Where have you been strategically placed by God? Which community or neighbourhood or workplace? I love Alan Scott's perspective on this. In his book, he challenges us not to settle for building a better church or better ministries whilst our cities remain broken and desperate for a move of God. He says we're in danger of our churches growing larger while our cities grow darker. So what about us as a Jubilee family? Why do we exist? Well, surely it's to carry God's kingdom beyond the walls of the church to rebuild the walls of our cities in order to bring life and hope and peace as we release the presence of God everywhere we go. We're not told what Nehemiah is thinking or praying as he walks around his broken city at night. I like to think he's doing a kind of prayer walk or horse ride as he assesses the extent of the damage. Asking God, where do I start? What resources am I going to need? What will the risks be? What kind of team do I need to gather around me? As he inspects the broken walls, He's looking for heaven's strategy to carry out what God has put on his heart to do for his city. What is most evident is that he cannot begin rebuilding the walls of the city by himself. And so fourthly, he begins to partner with others. In chapter two, verse 17, Nehemiah rallies the people. He says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. 
God has stirred Nehemiah's heart to rebuild the city and he calls others to join him. The people reply in verse 18, let us start rebuilding. I think there's something in that for us. Who could you partner with for the good of the city? Where do you see God already at work? You know, it it might not always be in the places you expect. God may be calling you to partner with secular people and organisations. To bring your kingdom perspective and godly influence to the many areas and agencies that already contribute significantly to the life of the city. The business sector, our education and healthcare systems, local government, the justice system, the media, the charity sector. I love the way that Jubilee Storehouse models this to us. I've lost count of the different agencies and organisations that they have partnered with. The police, local shops and businesses, social care, the list is endless. God has used each of these community agencies to further the work he has assigned the storehouse to do for the good of the city here in Solihull and beyond. Where has God placed you in the city to partner with what he is already doing to supply the destiny of the community in creative and innovative ways? I have the privilege of working in the education sector. Every day, as part of my job description, I get to call out children's unique destiny as I teach them how to read and write and help them to find out who they are and what they're good at and what to do if things go wrong. That's my job description as a teacher. But the amazing thing is, I get to release kingdom life as I do it, to declare truth over the children I teach and release hope and peace and joy. In my role, I also get to influence structures and systems within my school, those walls that bring security and protection. Now, Honestly, I do not wake up every morning with that perspective. Ask which. At the moment, especially, it is hard. And sometimes I can just feel like I'm in survival mode. I'm sure many of you are finding this too in the places God has positioned you. But we need to remember who we belong to and what we carry. As we go into our cities to bring life and hope and peace, as God works out his plan and purpose for the redemption of all things. It's not always easy. And actually, as we step out, we may find ourselves facing opposition by some who don't understand what God has put in our hearts to do for our city. This was certainly Nehemiah's experience. Listen to verse 19. But when Sambalat the Horonite, 
Tobiah the Ammonite official and Geshem the Arab heard about it. They mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked. Are you rebelling against the king? You see, as soon as Nehemiah makes his rebuilding plans public, he faces mockery and division by some who accuse him of rebellion. They challenge him, what is this you are doing? You can almost hear them thinking, who does he think he is? I read how Bethel Church had this experience when they heard that their city civic auditorium was threatened with closure due to years of deficit and disrepair. As a church, they decided they would buy it and manage it in a way that would revitalise the building for the community. But in doing so, they faced a backlash. The secular community couldn't believe a church would want to take it on with no hidden motives. And the Christian community couldn't believe that they would condone the wide range of shows and events that would be promoted and hosted in the building. But Bethel Church knew this building was a significant part of the city that they had been called to serve. So they bought it for the sake of the city. We too may face mockery and division as we step out for the sake of our city. People saying our ideas will never work or asking us, who do you think you are? But that shouldn't stop us. It didn't stop Nehemiah. He held on to what God had put in his heart to do for his city. Answering his critics by saying in verse 20, the God of heaven will give us success. And so chapter three, the rebuilding of the city wall begins. The whole community respond to Nehemiah's vision and they stand shoulder to shoulder, completing the work together for the sake of the city. As I draw to a close, I want to encourage us that as we read what God had put in Nehemiah's heart to do for his city, he wants to move our heart for our city. To move us to pray like Nehemiah for the wealth and protection of our cities, the rebuilding of the economy, for our cities to be places of justice and peace, where hope and destiny is released. To be courageous and use the influence God has given us well. To ask him for creative solutions to the problems of our cities. And to recommit ourselves to being those solution bringers as we carry God's kingdom beyond the church and out into our cities. I'll finish with this. In Luke 10, verse 1, Jesus sends out his disciples to bring life to broken cities. It says, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. I love that. 
Jesus sends his disciples to the places in line for a divine appointment. Every place he was about to go. What would happen if you lived with that mindset? That you have been appointed to go into every place where Jesus is about to go. That as you live and work and interact with your city, you are positioned by God to release life and peace as you carry his presence in you. As God works out his plan and purpose for the redemption of all things. I'd love to finish by praying for us. Can I just encourage you, just put your hands out and I'm going to ask Holy Spirit to come and fill us again as we close. Yeah, Holy Spirit, we welcome you again into our hearts and into our homes. Would you speak to us, Father? Where is it that you have uniquely placed us? What is it that you have put in our heart to do for our city? Jesus, I thank you that you are concerned about our cities, that just as you wept over Jerusalem, you care and you love our broken cities. And it is such a privilege that we get to go out day by day and bring your presence and your life and your kingdom. Father, I pray for those of us where there are dreams in our hearts that maybe have had to be put aside because of COVID-19 or whatever. Would you just cause those dreams to come back to the surface this morning as you stir us and you fill us to go out and extend your kingdom beyond the church and out into our broken cities? In Jesus' name. Amen.